Do you have any pills in your medicine cabinet that sit in bottles half empty? I do. <laughs> and do you know anyone who's ever had to change a course of treatment midstream because the first medication they took didn't work? I do. You're not alone in that. That's Carolyn McGill, Chief Executive Officer of Ation. Carolyn's here to discuss how her company's technology platform analyzes real-time data to determine how certain medications may affect patients excluded from clinical trials. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm Oliver Wyman. For more on today's show, check out our show notes, visit our online healthcare publication called Oliver Wyman Health at health. OliverWyman.com and follow us on Twitter at OW Health Editor. Thanks and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to the Oliver Wyman Health Podcast. I'm Tom Robinson. I'm a partner in the health and life sciences practice here at Oliver Wyman. I'm joined by Carolyn McGill. She's CEO of Ation, a digital health company turning real world data into real world decisions. And we'll get into exactly what all of that means. But before we do, Carolyn, perhaps you could talk a little bit about where your perspectives come from. What was it like coming into a founder run company? Very happy to do that. Well, first I'll share that I've spent about 20 years in healthcare. I came into healthcare after a stint in public policy in DC, where I thought that things were a bit too esoteric. It was too hard for me to affect change in the world of nuclear weapons, as an example, not being a, a nuclear scientist. And when I did management consulting, I got on a couple of healthcare projects, things clicked for me. I thought, okay, it's tangible because healthcare affects everybody you know. And it's also uh, related to public policy, which is something I'm pretty passionate about. Uh, 20 years in, this is the, the second founder-led company that I've become a part of. And, you know, I'd say a couple of things. It's super important to come in appreciating what has been created. I came into an organization that had been around for a few years and was just starting to get its sea legs in the market. And so understanding the culture that had been created and looking to further that, as well as introduce new notions of scale and some of the other things that are important for long-term viability of an organization. And, and as you looked at the company and things may have changed since, since you took over, what would you say is the secret sauce? What I was most excited about then and continue to be most passionate about now relates to the way that we look at data, which seemed distinct from things I had done in my previous lives when I was a part of a payer and then part of the provider space, in that we apply a level of scientific rigor to assessing safety, effectiveness, and value of clinical treatments that I just hadn't seen in other contexts. Applying scientific rigor means that we have transparency in the assumptions that are made. It means that we can replicate the results of large-scale data analytics problems that we address on our platform, and that we are very clear on what happens if we tweak some of those assumptions and the impact that they might have on results that we see. And you, presumably you pass that transparency of decision-making, that white box, process onto your customers. And who are your customers? Absolutely. So we have a tech platform that uses real-world data to look at how well clinical interventions work for different patient populations. And you can imagine this has applications for many types of customers. Uh, the FDA and Brigham and Women's Hospital up at Harvard Medical School, as an example, are partnering with us 
to look at ways in which data can be used to supplement clinical trials in instances like secondary indications for drugs that are on the market, as an example, or for safety studies. Biopharma manufacturers are licensing our platform to identify where there may be unmet clinical need, where are there gaps in the medications that are already available, segments of the population maybe that are underserved, or if they want to understand beyond what happened in a clinical trial, how a medication might affect women of childbearing age, or people over the age of 65, or kids, populations who generally aren't necessarily focused in those settings. They use our platform to do that. And then payers and at-risk providers use our platform to figure out which medications are most appropriate to put on formulary, as an example. And so does this have broader ramifications as you think about our progression towards value? And, and how, might, how does that all work? It does. So in today's world, most of the traction we've gotten relates to safety, effectiveness, and value of medications. Our founders are pharmacoepidemiologists. But they are also experts in causality. So we have structured the platform in a way so that we are looking at any kind of clinical intervention. And over time, we'll start to get much more uh, robust in terms of the kinds of inputs we look at. So taking it from drug to adding a medical device with this drug or care management program uh, or other kinds of clinical interventions to see how well they work. And we'll also start to get more robust in terms of the way that we define patient cohorts. So in today's world, age, geography, comorbidities, you know, that's, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit in those spaces. But as we think about social media data or socioeconomic data, or genomics, other kinds of data that we can bring into the equation, we'll start to expand in those directions as well to define patient characteristics in a way that help us understand which treatments will work best for which specific people. So it sounds as though you're not doing anything today with social media and with genomics. Um, is that is that right? And why is that? Just so much low-hanging fruit to go after? So we are, but much of what we're doing in that space is testing, seeing what works. And it's important to remember that at Ation we focus on regulatory-grade analytics. So our primary goal is in advancing standards for turning real-world data, which simply means any healthcare data collected outside of a controlled setting, so outside of a clinical trial as an example, into real-world evidence. And there's a very high standard, as there should be, a very high bar for what constitutes evidence before the FDA here in the U.S. or the EMA or other regulatory bodies around the world would say, yes, this medication, as an example, is safe for this population. And so as we test the parameters around genomics, around social media data, we always want to be applying that heavy bar of what works for that very important purpose. And I would say in today's world, there's much we can do to advance standards in the data that everybody feels very confident about with respect to claims, as an example, or um, electronic health record data, things that are very straightforward. So advancing standards with these data is a way to help us come to industry consensus mm -hmm. more quickly. And, and can you give us a specific example? Yeah, happy to. Um, so recently there was a study by a um, biopharma manufacturer that's a cardiovascular outcomes trial called Carolina. So looking at a drug that was already on the market, and they had to do a study with thousands of patients 
across dozens of countries to determine whether this drug was safe for the population once it was on the market. On our platform, researchers were able to do the same study in a matter of weeks. And it's the opportunity to understand how well medications work for specific subsets of the population through data instead of using people. It cuts uh, all kinds of inefficiencies out of the process and can uh, get us to very consistent results. So it sounds like it's that's clearly very helpful for the biopharma companies in helping them ultimately to figure out how their drugs work in the in the real world and to improve their time to market. How will that translate into what the consumer experience is in terms of drug pricing? Yeah. So I am curious, Tom, if I could turn this back on you for a moment. Do you have any pills in your medicine cabinet that sit in bottles half empty. I do. (laughs) And do you know anyone who's ever had to change a course of treatment midstream because the first medication they took didn't work? I do. You're not alone in that, right? And it's those kinds of examples that using data to understand more specifically how a given patient or group of patients will respond to a clinical intervention helps us to address. There's so much inefficiency, so much waste in trying to get it right. And when now we can use data to say, right, it's not just that someone has diabetes, it's that they have diabetes and they have cardiovascular disease, or they have diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and heart failure, and start to get much more specific about what works when. I have a really interesting example of this related to some work that we did with the Blues Plan here in the States where they wanted to understand more about what was happening with their diabetes population. They used the platform thinking that they would get better line of sight into how to get some of their members off of higher-cost drugs and onto more affordable drugs. And as they used the platform, we discovered that actually for a subset of their population, they should be on a higher-cost class of drugs because of the impact that it had on improving the quality of their outcomes and reducing their total cost of care. And the next step in that whole process is for the manufacturers of those drugs to use that same data on our platform to understand how they might price differently to ensure that the drugs that are on the formulary are actually working for the populations that they're supposed to serve. And do you, do you take a multi-year mindset to this or a single year? That often seems to be the challenge for anyone at risk for medical um, expenses is that they tend to be too short-termist. It's a great point. And I you know, worked at United Health Group for a number of years where I led Medicare and Medicaid health plans. And so I can attest to the phenomenon of which you speak in that we were oftentimes Uh, required to think about performance, not just on a calendar year basis, but if we instituted a program in July, I wanted to see results by the end of the year, right? So that I could meet my targets, so that I could demonstrate that we were doing what was best for our plan membership. And so that is a reality that we need to deal with, and we're very short-term. People like to see results right away. What's been interesting over the last few years, though, is that we see amongst our most progressive clients a readiness to look beyond a calendar year, even to look beyond 12 months 
for results and recognizing that there are subsets of the population, as an example, that they're more likely to retain. So who are those people that maybe have multiple chronic illnesses and are less likely to switch? Or who uh, will stay with the plan long enough for that switching problem to be less of an issue? And do you have any quantitative analysis that will that demonstrates the efficacy of your process, of the idea of using real-world data for either payers or for employers or for biopharma? We do. And trust me, we have been put through the ringer, as we like to be, by our clients and by regulators. So for the uh, FDA in partnership with Brigham Women's Hospital, as an example, to be using the platform for EMA, which is the European Medicines Agency over in Europe, to do the same, you can imagine the kinds of questions that they have about whether they are finding the insights you get from our platform to be credible. When we work with biopharma manufacturers, they have teams and teams of pharmacoepidemiologists and others who have been studying these kinds of questions for decades. And the hurdle that we have to jump for them is to demonstrate that what we do is credible relative to their standard. And then you can imagine, too, when you start saying, geez, we think we could do in data what we historically have done in clinical trials in some instances, especially for secondary indications, especially for safety studies. So that hurdle is very high, and we have a validated platform. We have studies that have been published in the New England Journal of Medicine, as an example, and other respected journals. Uh, So we're very pleased with how we've been able to demonstrate that our platform holds water relative to the historic techniques the industry has used to understand safety, effectiveness, and value. So Carolyn, could you tell us a little bit about the New England Journal of Medicine study that was done on your platform? Absolutely. Researchers from McLean Hospital were looking at medications for children with ADHD. And this is very exciting and I think bodes well for the kinds of studies that can be done on our platform moving forward related to comparative effectiveness because children are not included in clinical trials for very good reasons. And by using our platform to assess how well these medications worked for kids related to uh, the likelihood of psychotic events, researchers were able to make progress in an area that they otherwise couldn't have. So what were the specific kinds of data that you used in the Carolina study? Carolina study was off of claims data. And it's a great example of how much low-hanging fruit there is off of the data that is readily available to us. It's honestly the same kinds of data that the FDA and Brigham Women's Hospital is using in their duplicate initiative. And and taking a step back, how do you think the overall move to value-based care is progressing? So we have seen value-based care take hold in across the healthcare industry, especially in the United States, uh, increasingly over the last 10 to 15 years. It is just getting off the ground in the medication space where we're starting to see more and more activity with high-cost drugs, with specialty medications as an example, and then a receptivity or at least a willingness to try for other kinds of medications and a recognition that we need to have a different kind of conversation than we've been having historically. Much of what we're doing at this point is getting disparate parties who may not have trusted each other historically to have a conversation about 
how to structure metrics that help them appreciate whether a medication is working specifically for a patient population that they're serving as an example, or how to think about the time horizons that's important, the kinds of assumptions you need to make to assess whether it was truly this medication that led to this result we saw in a patient population or not. And so by advancing standards that we use about what constitutes regulatory-grade real-world data, by focusing on what it means to create real-world evidence for regulatory-type decisions, we're able to win credibility of those skeptics. Carolyn, I'm so happy that you turned your talents towards healthcare and away from nuclear weapons. <laughs> um, one question we'd like to end uh, end up on that we ask of all our guests, um, if you had all of the money, all of the time, all of the resources in the world, what would you fix about healthcare? Where to begin? The first area to focus would be on some of the quick hits associated with administrative waste in the healthcare system. There are too many to name, but there are some that are top of mind for me. One is provider credentialing. (laughs) Those of you who have been involved in that world know what I'm talking about, but it feels like we could apply a little bit of logic and get much more efficiency and better outcomes to that whole process. We would also make provider directories credible meaning that they would reflect accurately which clinicians were at which location, what their services were, and specific days and hours that they were operational. That's another pet peeve of mine. It sounds so simple, and yet, um, on a more systemic level, I would focus on advancing data for regulatory decision-making, and I would give the regulatory agencies the resources they needed to test where they think it's appropriate to use data around understanding safety, effectiveness, and value of let's start with medications and then expand from there. And we know that this is workable. And we also know that there are questions and that clinical trials are the gold standard for a reason. We don't want to displace that. But let's find areas that become no-brainers for us, like secondary indications or safety studies where data can much more effectively identify nuances of the population or specific patient cohorts that will respond more effectively to a given intervention. Thank you very much for chatting with us today and sharing your perspective on the Oliver Wyman Health podcast. I hope you can get back to enjoying this glorious 56 degree summer day here in San Francisco. Thank you so much for having me. The Oliver Wyman Health Podcast is brought to you by the global management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, check out our other executive conversations on the business of transforming healthcare, featuring guests like Comcast, Aetna, Humana, Castlight, and many more. We invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified whenever a new podcast goes live. For more on today's episode, follow us on Twitter at OWHealthEditor and visit our online healthcare publication, Oliver Wyman Health, at health.oliverwyman.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.